Father, draw us to yourself even in this moment as we look to your word. Mold us, shape us, form us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, for the glory of your name. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. Welcome on this Martin Luther King weekend. And I forget about these federal holidays. I look out as I was walking. It's like, where is everybody? Oh, it's a three-day weekend and a federal holiday. So, yes, when I worked construction, we didn't get federal holidays. <laughs> um, but I'm so glad all of you are here. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them. We're turning to John's Gospel, Chapter 1 today. Beginning next Sunday, we're going to be doing a study of the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians uh, from next Sunday until the beginning of Lent. But I want to focus on John's Gospel today. I also want to just mention we had a wonderful vestry and then staff retreat yesterday morning. The staff joined us, but a good time this weekend. We'll be commissioning our vestry members a little bit later on in the service. And I also want to thank all of you um, for your prayers for my dad and my family at this time. Uh, we've been in a season. My dad, as you, many of you know, has terminal cancer and is confined to a bed at this point and was in a pretty rapid decline about a week and a half or two weeks ago and kind of hit a plateau. Um, very weak, but I do appreciate your continued prayers and your patience as I have to uh, also run back and forth to Baltimore quite a bit these days. So thank you for that. Again, looking at John's Gospel, Chapter 1, Focusing on verses 35 through 42 this morning. Last Sunday, we commemorated the baptism of our Lord. This commemoration on the church calendar always takes place on the first Sunday after Epiphany. And Deacon Andy did a wonderful job of preaching on Jesus' baptism as it is recorded in St. Matthew's Gospel. And teaching us about the significance of this event for us. Our gospel reading today from St. John's Gospel picks up with the events following Jesus' baptism as recorded by John. Here we have this wonderful account in verses 35 through 42 of Andrew who brings his brother Peter to Jesus. I think this is a fact that's often overlooked or forgotten in light of Peter's later prominence and leadership of the early church. Plus, we know a great deal more about Peter in Scripture um, especially in light of his strong personality. We know a lot more about Peter than we do about Andrew. And at the end of this account, Peter comes to Jesus, and Jesus tells him in verse 42, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the rest is history. But as we look at this passage, I want to talk this morning about two priorities that I believe are revealed in this passage of Scripture. The first one is this, the necessity of personal encounter and transformation. And that really for Peter comes at the end of this passage, but much transpired leading up to this point. Peter's coming to Jesus was the result of Andrew acting upon his own encounter with Jesus and the transformation that began to take place in his life. Before Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, Andrew first had to have his own personal life-transforming encounter with the Christ. And things really begin even one step further back in this process, if you will, 
with John the Baptist's acclamation of who Jesus is. Andrew was a, was a disciple of John the Baptist prior to being a follower of Jesus. This is the clear implication when you read this scripture passage. We know that John the Baptist had disciples, but John the Baptist also understood his role, the nature, the purpose of his ministry, and that it was one of preparation, of preparing the way and then pointing people to the Messiah, the Savior sent from heaven. We see this affirmed in multiple places in the Gospels. Just a few examples from the Gospel of John include John 1, verses 6 through 9, where we read, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then in John chapter 3, verses 28 through 30, you yourselves bear, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. This is John the Baptist speaking. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And then finally, from our scripture passage this morning in verse 36, as Jesus is passing by, John exclaims, Behold the Lamb of God. It was John the Baptist who alerted his disciples to the fullness of Jesus' identity. He pointed them to Jesus. The second thing we see here under the priority of personal encounter and transformation is that we have the response of John's disciples. Their response in their response rather to John's revelation of Jesus' identity. And what do Andrew and this other disciple of John do? Look at verse 37. They follow Jesus. And when Jesus sees them following, he asks them, what are you seeking? In the NIV, that is translated, what do you want? It can also accurately be translated, what are you looking for? And I agree with New Testament scholar Raymond Brown in his commentary on John's gospel when he says that in asking this question, Jesus is getting at much more than simply the reason why they are walking after him, the reason why they are walking behind him, if you will. Jesus is asking much more. He's asking about and addressing those deep-seated needs and yearnings in every person that are only and can only be met by him through a living, saving, life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. What kind of things were people looking for then when Andrew came to Jesus? And what kinds of things are people looking for today? Well, first, they're looking for that which is real and genuine. They're looking for meaning and purpose and significance in their lives. They're looking for true God-breathed love. They're looking for peace, forgiveness, hope, eternal life. They're looking for healing of all kinds, and the list goes on and on. Things that are only truly found through a living relationship with Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. 
Now, some of these things at some temporal level can be addressed in the secular in terms of purpose and significance and a little bit of hope and a little bit of healing and especially of that which is real and genuine. But the full measure of these kinds of deep, lifelong yearnings and desires can only be satisfied and met through a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And to these disciples, as Jesus asks them, what are you seeking? He then says, come and you will see. And Jesus says the same thing to us today and to those we encounter who he calls us just like he called those first disciples to introduce to him. Jesus calls us to introduce people to him. Matthew eleven twenty through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In John 7, verses 37 through 38, we read that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These first disciples found what they were looking for when they followed Jesus. People in our day only find what they are looking for when they follow Jesus. And the idea of following here is one of discipleship, of entering into a lifelong journey, of dedicating one's life. It's a whole lot more than just walking in a similar way or trying to copy or mimic someone. It requires transformation. In our Wednesday morning Eucharist um, this past week, I read part of a chapter from a book by Henry Nouwen entitled The Selfless Way of Christ. And he touches on this idea of the radical call of discipleship in what I read this week, and I will be reading, uh, continuing that book on Wednesdays. But this is what Nouwen writes. Regardless of the particular shape we give to our lives, Jesus' call to discipleship is primal, all-encompassing, all-inclusive, demanding a total commitment. One cannot be a little bit for Christ, give him some attention, or make him one of many concerns. Is it possible to follow Christ while fulfilling the demands of the world? To listen to Christ while paying equal attention to others? To carry Christ's cross while carrying many other burdens as well? Jesus certainly appears to draw a very sharp distinction. No one can be the slave of two masters, Matthew 6, 24. He insisted and he did not hesitate to confront us with the uncompromising demands of his call. It is a narrow gate and hard road that leads to life. Anyone who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. These challenging words are not meant only for a few of Jesus' followers who have a so-called special vocation. Rather, they are for all who consider themselves Christians. They indicate the radical nature of of the call. Following Jesus means that he is in the lead, that he is the head. 
that he calls the shots in our lives. And our lives are ordered according to his will and his commands by the grace of the Holy Spirit at work in us. I think it's important to note that nowhere do we ever see Jesus commanding his followers to go and make converts in a superficial sense. I think this is one of the places where we get it wrong sometimes in the Protestant church in our day, this idea, oh, come to the altar and say a prayer or come with me and say a prayer. Yes, that can be a legitimate start. But if that is not the initiation into a life of discipleship, if it's not the initiation into a life of transformation and following Jesus, then nothing has really happened. And I fear sometimes that people who said a prayer and then walked away and went on with their business, living their lives as if nothing was different, are holding on to a false hope about a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Personal transformation, a life-transforming encounter, leads us to follow Jesus. That's priority one. We need to have tasted and seen for ourselves before we can share and bring someone else to Christ. You know, it's kind of like in, in my construction days and my background, um, learning how to solder or sweat copper pipe. You can watch somebody do that time and time and time again. But until you learn how to do it yourself and you hold the torch in your hands and you learn the feel of what just the right temperature is for the solder to flow and for the flux to, to suck the solder in around those fittings, and you learn just how that solder needs to go around the pipe joint. Um, you can only, watching someone else can only take you so far until you've experienced it and done it for yourself hands-on. And we can watch and hear other people talk about a living relationship with Jesus, about the transforma transformation that Jesus brings about in their lives. But listening and hearing without responding for ourselves will only take us so far. But this is not the ending place. What does Andrew do? He goes and he tells Peter, we have found the Messiah. And continuing in verse 42, and he, Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. That's our second priority, personal proclamation and testimony. Telling people about Jesus, bringing them to him is something we see repeatedly in Andrew's life. It's interesting that every time that Andrew is mentioned in John's gospel, he is bringing somebody to Jesus. In John 6, also where Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's Andrew in verse 8 who identifies and brings the boy with the five loaves and the two fishes to Jesus. When the Greeks want to see Jesus in John 12, Philip tells Andrew, and then Philip and Andrew together tell Jesus of this request. This is a huge part of what followers of Jesus do. They bring other people to Jesus. And we do it because we want to, because God puts this burning desire in our hearts to tell others about the wonderful, transforming life of Jesus Christ. And we do it out of obedience to Jesus' command to go and make disciples. 
Yet it's more than simply telling. We have to tell from that place of lived reality, that place of transformation that is continuing in our own lives. Telling in the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God, because if we do it in our flesh, nothing will ever happen. This is all God's plan. That you and I would be real life living witnesses of the transforming power of Jesus. Katie Booth was the daughter of William and Catherine Booth, the founders of the Salvation Army, which was, is not simply a um, organization that works with the poor. Do you realize the Salvation Army is a Christian Protestant denomination? They have, there are Salvation Army churches. And Katie, their daughter, went as the first Salvation Army to mis missionary to France in the summer of 1881. I read her autobiography, which was printed or published, I think, in the 1920s. I picked it up used probably 20 years ago, and it profoundly impacted me at the time. But in her talking about her work in Paris with the poor and the homeless, she writes this. And when I first read this, I thought, wow, that is off base. That is really arrogant. But then as I read through the book, and I, I, I came to grasp her heart, but this is what she wrote. I saw that the bridge to France was making the French people believe in me. That's what the Protestants do not understand. They preach the Bible. They write books. They offer tracts. But that doesn't work. Curse your Bibles, your books, your tracts, cry the French. I have seen thousands of testaments given away to very little purpose. I have seen them torn up to light cigars. And the conviction that took shape in my mind was that unless I could inspire faith in me, there was no hope. Only if Jesus is lifted up in flesh and blood will he today draw all men to him. If I cannot give him, I shall fail. France has not waited till now for religion, for preaching, for eloquence. Something more is needed. I that speak unto thee am he. There is a sense in which the world is waiting for that today. You may say that this leads to fanaticism, to all sorts of error. And yet I always come back to it. Christ's primary idea, his means of saving the world is, after all, personality. The face, the character, the life of Jesus is to be seen in men and women. These were the convictions with which I began the work in Paris. And if I had to begin it over again today, I would go on the same lines. When I knew what I had to do, my mind was at rest. I said, we will lay ourselves out for them. They shall know where we live. They can watch us day and night. They shall see what we do and judge us. Continuing with Henry Nowen in the same vein, he writes this. The spirit is the breath of Christ in us, the divine power of Christ active in us, the mysterious source of new vitality by which we are made aware that we, it is not we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Indeed, to live a spiritual life means to become living Christs. It is not enough to try to imitate Christ as much as is possible. It is not enough to remind others of Jesus. It is not even enough to be inspired by the words and actions of Jesus Christ. No, the spiritual life presents us with a far more radical demand to be living Christ's here and now in time and history. 
the call of God for each of us who knows Jesus is to be an Andrew, to be a living Christ, who then through the transformation that is being wrought in our lives and the power of the Spirit work in us brings others to Jesus Christ to experience and know him, whom to know his life. As I said in my rector's address at our business meeting last Sunday, God has placed a theme on my heart for this year of strengthened with power through the Spirit. And folks, if we're going to be about this, if we're going to be about seeing people's lives transformed through the life of this church, through our lives, we need to be strengthened with power through the Spirit to be those living Christs right here, right now where God has placed us. We're having Bishop Bill Murdoch also, as I mentioned last Sunday, come in March. March 22nd, that's a Sunday morning, Sunday night, also Monday and Tuesday night. And we are clearing the decks. There will be no other church activities during that time so that all of us can come together. Bishop Murdoch is going to come and preach and minister on the personal work of the Holy Spirit and that fullness of the Spirit that we need in our lives and in the life of this church to be those transforming agents, those, those Christs in our community. So I would ask all of you to join with me as we go forward in this season. And we'll be setting times aside beginning in February. The dates will be coming on Sunday nights, several Sunday nights a month, for specific focused prayer on these types of matters. For our lives, for this community, to move forward in the power of the Spirit, to see people transformed by Jesus Christ. So that we not in our flesh, but in the power of the Spirit, can bring people just as Andrew brought Peter to know Jesus and know his transforming power. So my challenge for us today is that we need to press in to know Christ more fully. We need to begin praying into walking in the fullness and the power of his spirits. We need to ask him to open our lives and change us where there are things, there are sins, there are other things that are hindering us from being what God is calling us to be. And then we need to press in in prayer that this community would be transformed through the light of the gospel through All Saints Church. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you call us to an incredibly high calling, but in that calling, you also give us your power to shine forth the light of Christ. Lord, may this be a season of cleansing, a season of pressing into you, and a season of seeing your transformation wrought in greater measure in our lives, that going forward, God, we could be those transforming agents for Jesus in Woodbridge and throughout Northern Virginia that you call us to be, that you will for us to be. So God, empower us, pour your grace into our lives, Unite us as a church in your plan and your purposes. And may it all be for the glory of your name. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.